Today we're going to be in Romans 12, 12, so open up your Bible and we'll be in Romans chapter 12, verse 12. It's a nice short verse and we're going to be sitting in that for a majority of our time together, but we're in this series called Reframe, all right? And it's been a lot of fun since the beginning of the year talking about what it looks like to reframe our lives in Christ, this opportunity that we have as believers in Jesus to not just push the car down the road, right, but to get in it. To get in the car and allow for the, for the power of God to actually fuel your life. Last week we talked about being in the word of God, all right? And that's kind of an output of being in Christ, right? When we are in Christ, we want to do things that motivate us to live for Christ. So we talked about what it looks like to be in the word. And not just to read a book, but to, to meet the man. To meet the man that we're reading about. My friends, the whole reason for this series is for us to realize that there's power and purpose in this life through Jesus Christ. That, that God doesn't just want your eternity, although he does want your eternity, he wants your now. He wants your now. And my friends, we can position ourselves today in this life. We can position ourselves for grace. There are habits that we could put into our lives to where we can see the Lord more clearly, where we could see his grace more clearly. Although we can't force his hand, we could do things in life in order for us to see him better. So that's why we're talking about getting in the word last week. That's why today we're going to talk about prayer. Next week we're going to talk about community. The following week we're going to talk about generosity. That's why we're talking about these things. Jonathan Edwards calls this laying yourself in the way of allurement. Laying yourself in the way of allurement. Kind of like Zacchaeus did up in the tree as Jesus was passing by. He got, he got him, his little self up in that tree and he watched Jesus pass by. And Jesus saw him and brought him down. We can see Jesus more clearly, my friends, through prayer, through meditation, through the word, and through community. But today is prayer. For you longtime church folk, I know you want to tune out right now because you've heard a lot of sermons on prayer. But I want to encourage you not to for a few reasons. First off, God has something for you this morning. Secondly, he hears us. And third, we're not good at this if we're honest. Most of us. I don't want to speak for all of us because there's some prayer warriors in here that I'm like, man, I want to attain what you have. I want to pray like you do. But I want to say that most of us aren't good at this. The statistics show, and, and just uh, I, even in my conversations over the past couple of weeks, knowing I'm preaching on this, having conversations with people, even the idea of prayer really isn't understood. And I'm convinced that, friends, God is more willing to hear our prayers than we are. Like God's more willing to hear us than we are for him to hear us. So that's what we're talking about today. So in light of that, why don't we pray to get started and then we'll dive into Romans 12, 12, okay? So God, we give you this time this morning, Lord. Lord, we pray that you invade our spaces this morning, Lord, that you teach us, that, that you illuminate your word, Lord, and show us what you have for us. God, we need you. And you've given us an avenue to see you, Lord, to talk with you, Lord. Help us to get that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Romans 12, 12 is where we're going to be camping out this morning. Short and sweet, three pithy, straightforward sayings here, okay? So, so let me read that. 
Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Let's get that. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Some, some translations say, be, uh, actually, rather than be patient, persevere in tribulation. Some flip constant to be devoted to prayer. This is tiny, but it's powerful. These are three big things to say. Rejoice in hope, church. We can bring this right to today. Rejoice in hope, church. Be patient in affliction, Zarephath. Pray always. But you know, it's verses like this that we like to, as evangelicals, like put on the side of coffee mugs and kind of make cute, right? Like when we get that perfect Instagram picture with the sun hitting our faces, kind of like this section where the sun's hitting you right now. I'm sorry, we're working on it, okay? But like the sun's hitting your face perfectly and you're just like, man, I want to put a cute verse under this Instagram picture. This is what you'd put. I'm rejoicing in hope. But here, I want to submit to you today, friends, this verse in light of reality is not cute. It's not a cute, pithy phrase. Like, if we really read this verse well, we understand that it has massive implications for us. Massive implications for us. Rejoice in hope, church, even though chaos is looming around us and the world is being destroyed. Persevere through hard times, not uh, if they come, but when they come, because they're coming. And then it's closed out with, you know what, you better pray. If we want joy, friends, if we want to persevere, church, then prayer needs to be something that we do. This isn't a friendly saying as much as it is wartime instruction for believers for right now. As we face the in-between, as we have been saved and we are waiting for eternity, but right now we are at war. And we see this instruction all throughout Scripture. We see the call to pray, church, pray, church, all throughout Scripture. In fact, if you have the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, 650 prayers are recorded in the Word of God. Jesus himself, just in in the small portion of his life uh, where his life was recorded about and talked about in the Gospels, we see him go out and pray 25 times specifically. Paul mentions prayers. Paul is the writer of a majority of the New Testament. He mentions prayer 41 times in his writing. For you literary folk, when when an author repeats something, it means it's important. It means it's important. God doesn't want us to crawl through life powerless. But he's given us power by giving us access to him. Church, he's given us power by giving us access to him. So here's our plan for this morning. Here's our plan. Okay? We're going to focus more on the why we pray rather than the how we pray. Okay? Because if we understand why we pray, then we're going to figure out how to pray. Okay? And we're going to start in this Romans verse. We're going to pull these three phrases apart a little bit. And then I want to ask us three questions. And I want us to get introspective. I'm going to, I'm going to suggest some answers, but I want you to really ask yourself these questions in your heart. I don't want to be up here talking and you thinking about how the Eagles are going to hopefully lose tonight, okay? I want you to tune in with me. So 
Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Christian, this is good news. Because although, yes, life is happening, although the world is chaotic, this is a truth for us. We can rejoice in hope. We have this hope that goes beyond this life. We have this hope today. But hope is hard. But hope is our reality. Hebrews 6.19 says this. We have this, so this is God's promise, this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Believer, we've been saved from our sin. We've been saved as we were walking down this road where we were going nowhere fast. God has plucked us by his grace even though we didn't know that we needed him. He showed us that we needed him and he gave us a way. Our desire for transcendence, our desire to be satisfied, our our desire for something more has been satisfied. It's been quenched. He found us. Believer, we're in Christ. We could rejoice in hope. We could live out our created purpose. We know greater things are coming. But I want to I just pause. I know it's early in the message, but I want to just pause for a second. Because I know well enough that not everybody in this room is a believer. I know some of you don't believe. I know some of you are skeptics. I know some of you are like, why am I even here? And great, he's talking about prayer. It doesn't even matter to me. And I want to say, first off, you are so welcome, and I'm glad you're here. I might be elevated above you right now on this platform, but I'm no better than you are. Every believer in this room is no better than you are. But I want to ask you, because in light of talking about hope, in light of talking about this hope that we have, I want to ask you, What is hope for you? Genuinely, I I want you to think that what is hope for you? Because here's the thing. Like, the world's going to let you down. The world is going to let you down. Your loved ones, even, may let you down. The corporate ladder will let you down. Money will let you down. Vacations will let you down. You're going to go on vacation and come back tired for another vacation. Vacation's going to let you down. Toys, the cars, the the houses, the technology, they're going to let you down. You're not going to fill the desire in your heart with that stuff. You're just not. And Ecclesiastes 3 tells me that eternity is in all of men and women's hearts. Every one of us desire more. We desire more, and my friends, that could be fulfilled with Jesus. He wants to fill that gap in your heart, friends. Consider him today. He is your hope. You can rejoice in hope this morning by submitting your life to him. Consider him today. That desire for transcendence, that desire for more, consider Christ. But this hope we have, this rejoicing that we can do because of of the hope that we have in Jesus, that translates, it allows us for that second chunk of Romans 12, 12, to be patient in tribulation, to persevere through affliction, some translations say. 
in John 16.33, I mean, I love how blunt it is in the beginning. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. Times are going to be tough. It's just going to happen. You were born broken, you were born imperfect, and you were born into a broken and imperfect world. Like you're going to be afflicted in this world. I mean, for example, who's been sick in the past couple of weeks? Raise your hand. Everybody and their mother has been sick. Yes, like I, our office is all sick. I'm trying to like, I wear a gas mask to prepare the sermon this week. I'm like nervous that I'm going to get sick, all right? But this is a sign of our brokenness. It's a sign of our brokenness. Like sickness, illness is a sign of the fall. And we feel that. And some of you germos are like getting out your hand sanitizer right now and like <laughs> putting it all over. Trust me, I've already hand sanitized like five times this morning, right? But we feel this with strife. We feel this with internal strife. We feel this with relational strife. Whether, whether that be we are, a coworker ticks us off or we don't really like our boss or we're not getting along with our wife or, or our children just aren't being obedient. We feel this. We feel the chaos of the world. And we see it. We will see affliction. We will have tribulation. Heck, 287 at rush hour. <laughs> or just any time for that matter. Like it just all of a sudden you hit traffic, I'm going to be here for an hour and a half for some reason. Like we feel it. We feel it. But here's the thing, the second half of, of John 16, gives us that hope, gives us a reason to rejoice because it says that, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Take heart, church. You can rejoice in hope because I've overcome it. You're going to be able to persevere through hard times because I've overcome all this mess that you're a part of. This is why with, with tears in our eyes as Christians, we can have hope in our heart. Like, life can be tough, and we might be a mess, but there's this hope that goes beyond it. So we see this now. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. And then the last phrase here is the foundation on which those two things sit. Be constant in prayer. This is the engine. This is the nuts and bolts. This is the firm foundation in which we can rejoice in hope, in which we can persevere God's appointed means to awaken and sustain hope is prayer. It's his methodology. It's his methodology. Romans 5.2, I mean, this is a beautiful, beautiful uh, words. Check, check it out. Through him, so this is through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Friends, we've obtained access to the king of the cosmos. He hears us. That sounds so simple. It sounds so Sunday school, but he hears us. Do me a favor. Turn to your neighbor right now and just say hello. Hello. Both neighbors. Make sure everybody gets a hello. Hello. Some of you dipped out because you didn't want their breath touching you because you're still afraid to be sick. But did you just hear, this is a silly, silly example, but did you just hear your neighbor? That's how God hears us. Like he hears us. 
Sometimes we take these simple things about God and we just don't get them. But he actually hears us. And this gives us hope. This allows us to persevere because God hasn't left us. Like, think about this. I really want you to think about this, friends. Right now, believer, your gentlest, your gentlest, quietest whisper to God, gentlest, most quiet whisper to God, from the depths of your soul, not even evoking words, just gentle, quiet whisper from your soul to God, summons the attention of the commander of the universe. It gets his attention. I mean, with all that's happening in the cosmos, like, have you ever heard the audio that NASA releases? It's just chaos. Like, it's just loud noises everywhere, all right? And with all that's happening in the cosmos, he hears as if we are talking to him in an empty room. God hears us. And I want us to be honest. I know I'm being more interactive today than normal, but I want us to be honest with each other. There's a reason for this. How many of us just don't really get this and we're not that good at prayer? Will you raise your hand? It's okay, keep it up. Some of you are like, (laughs) keep it up, keep it up. Keep your hand up, come on, come on. If you put it up high, okay? Look around. We're not in this alone. Some of us aren't good at this. This isn't a drive-by guilting. This is to show that church, we must be a people of prayer. Let us be a people of prayer. If we want the Lord to turn Central Jersey upside down for the sake of his glory and the gospel to go forward, we must be a people of prayer. The thing is, though, believers, most of us live like functional atheists. We think we control our lives. We think we're in charge. And we forget that God hears us. We so often forget. This is why churches fill when terror happens, when natural disaster happens, when catastrophe strikes, when hurricanes happen. This is why churches fill up because we realize how small we are. We realize there must be something more. We remember all of a sudden. And this is what I don't like. Like secular folks who don't believe in God like, like still desire transcendence, desire something more in things like weddings and things like when the baby comes and all this kind of stuff because there's these pinnacles in life. There's these times in life where we just think, oh, there must be something more. And there are certain times in life where we remember this. But how often we forget, friends. How often we forget the times when we're forgetful are much more often than when we remember. You remember that old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. A couple of lines in there just stuck out as I was preparing this. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we forfeit, what needless pain we bear because we don't take advantage of the fact that God hears us. Christian, we act like the veil's still up when it's been torn. The veil's been torn. We have access to God himself. So let's go into a time of self-evaluation here. 
Let's ask ourselves some questions, okay? And I want you to, I'm going to suggest answers, but I really want you to, to ask these questions with me. Would you do that? Okay, I want you to ask these questions with me. I want you to be real with yourself because we need to grow here at ZCC. We saw it. We saw hands up. Right? We have this opportunity to grow here. The first question is, why don't we pray? Like, let's just get simple. Why don't we pray? I have a few suggestions. One is because whether we would say it or not, we, we think we're our own God. Our pride, our, our self-reliance, our ego thinks, you know what, I am going to get this done. I'll figure this out. We don't trust God. We don't really think he hears. And you know what? We don't have time for him to, to wait. We don't have time to wait around for him to react. So I'm just going to take this on myself. I've got this. I'm going to do the grunt work. This is our culture. This is the nature of our culture. We are individualistic. Well, let me say that, that we make crummy gods. But maybe you don't think you're your own God. You're your own God. Maybe it's not your ego. But maybe it's just laziness. This one hurts, right? Maybe it's just laziness that we, we don't make time for God. Solitude is seen as this weak thing in this day and age. Like if you're not doing something or, or, or you know, contributing to something, or if you're just sitting still and being quiet, then that is a weak thing to do. That's the way we look at solitude today. But that is not the case. God calls us to talk with him. We have this distracted culture, and we distract our things with things that are lazy. And I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. And you can't tell me that this isn't spiritual, all the distractions that us Americans have. I mean, you know there's such thing as something called FOMO? Who's heard of that? Fear of missing out. Where, where people literally get anxious when something around the world, maybe they don't even know the person, but if that happens and they don't know about it, it makes them anxious. So they're constantly scrolling through Twitter. They're constantly checking up on things. They're constantly, maybe this will hit home, checking to see if they got an email from work because they need to reply to it quickly. And that distracts us from God, what God wants us to do. Especially if we're, we're checking Instagram a while, we're taking time to pray to the Lord. And, and instead, we'll, we'll binge watch a, a season on Netflix and not create time for the Lord. For those of you who don't know what Netflix is, just think TV shows, all right? I love you. I love all you, all right? Or maybe... We don't pray just because there's ignorance there and we don't realize what we're missing. We don't realize what we're missing out on. So friends, we need to identify this morning, why don't we pray? Together, we need to ask ourselves that question. We don't just do church so we can kind of talk about things and then leave and forget. Like this is homework. Let's identify why don't we pray. And then once we identify, let's move on it. You don't need to have planning meetings once you identify and say, all right, I'm going to set in six months, I'm going to start doing this. No, move on it. My second question is, why should we pray? Why should we pray? Well, it's because God invites us into his presence. Knowing we are weak, God invites us into his presence. Romans 4 
verse 16 says this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Lord allows us to confidently go before him for, us to, to, for him to hear from us. We can confidently, boldly approach him. This is amazing. This grace is amazing. And we ultimately pray to get more of God. We ultimately pray to go before that throne and to get more of him. So often, though, so often, uh, we kind of go to God and we just ask for things. It's okay to ask God for things, but this idea of prayer has been hijacked by something called the prosperity gospel, where you think if you pray hard enough, if you have enough faith, you're going to get healthy, wealthy, and be prosperous in everything. And that is heretical at best. That is anti-gospel. We pray to get God. We don't pray to get things from God. We worship the creator. We don't, we don't just worship created things. We don't just want what God made. We want God. He's the ultimate. And if you look at the prayers of the New Testament believers, oh my word, I mean, if you want to just read through the book of Acts and see the prayers that they pray and put them up against yours. I have a list right here. We don't have time to go through it, but, but do that. It's mind-blowing. Compare. Because their prayers in the New Testament, they're praying to get God. They're praying for God's kingdom to push forward. They're praying for courage and boldness. And God gives it freely. God maybe doesn't calm the waters around the ship, but he allows the ship to sail forward. So why do we pray? It's because we want to get God. And I'll tell you some things we're definitely going to get from God when we pray. Some things we're definitely going to get from God when we pray. Like, like maybe God won't answer the prayer in the way you think. I mean, imagine if God just answered our prayers on our whims all the time. Imagine what the world would be like, honestly. But there are some things we can guarantee that the Lord will give us when we pray. And first off, it's comfort. In times of trouble, when things are tough, when, when things are too much for us, my friends, we, got, we have to go to him. We have to go to him knowing that he can handle it and he will comfort us in those times of affliction. And it's okay to be raw. You don't need to primp yourself up and go all prim and proper. You can go crying in a mess to the Lord. I mean, look at, let's look at Psalm 13 and how raw David is here as he prays to the Lord. The first four verses are pretty much like, Lord, what is your issue? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Where are you at, Lord? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Verses 5 and 6 really show that David understands that he can go to God just as he is because he brings this idea that he knows God is still on the throne and God's in charge even though he's whimpering to him at this time. 
In verses 5 and 6, it says, But I have trusted you in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Listen, we can go to God and we can pray to God just as we are. God already knows what's happening in your heart. Don't fix yourself up. Go. Go and talk with him. If you look through the Psalms, if you look through the prayers of the Psalms, they waver just like we do. They waver just like we do. And the beautiful thing about the Lord is we don't need to go to the back of the line and take another ticket for us to get more time with him. We can go to him constantly because we're his children. You know, my little girl, Kaya, is about to be one, okay? And for me, I'm like, wow, I'm about to have a one-year-old. So I'm no longer like, hey, I'm new at parenting, like I'm one year in. And for those of you who have like 30-year-old children, let me live here, okay? I'm in this season. (laughs) Some of you are like, oh, he doesn't even know, all right? Well, that's where I'm at, okay? But anyway... uh, I'm really enjoying my time as a dad with her, right? It's tough. It's, it's great. She's the cutest thing in the world. Um, but I, on Tuesdays, it's my day off. It's a weird day off, but it's, it's my day. And, and um, I am in grad school, so, so Tuesdays are filled with grad work, all right? I don't have much time other days of the week, so, so Tuesdays are my time where I need to really get stuff done um, so that way I can just kind of check on things throughout the rest of the week. And, and Tuesdays are also my day with Kaya, all right? So I'm home with Kaya, and and uh, <clears throat> on Tuesday afternoon, I was still hauling through a bunch of reading I had to get done. And, and she was done with her nap. So I brought her out into our living room. She has enough toys for all of us in this room because of her grandparents. First on both sides. I mean, it's ridiculous. So uh, we have a small house too. But, but I'm like, all right, I'm going to bring her out here. I'm going to sit down on the floor, read a book. She doesn't like when mom or dad leave the room. So I'm going to just hang with her here and let her play with her toys and uh, I sit her down. She starts playing with her um, little walk thing, whatever it is. And, and uh, I sit down and start reading. And she comes over and she starts tugging on me. And she starts kind of crawling all over me. And I'm trying to read, trying to flip my pages, trying to do my work. And, and she keeps just trying to get my attention. Trying to, and I'm like kind of rubbing her head. Hey, honey, yeah, I love you. You know, like I'm trying to read. You know, I'm reading uh, this class I'm in. It's about early church history. So just like thick reading. I'm like trying to understand it all. And all of a sudden, her, her, the new cute thing that she does, aside from taking some steps, which is cool, is she just gives these wet, nasty kisses, all right? And I'm in the middle of reading my book, and she just leans in, open mouth, and is like. And I'm just like, oh, man, you've gotten me. You know, I shut my book, I grab her, right, and I hug her, and I, I love her. I spend some time with her. But, but here's the thing. Our God is a perfect father. And we don't need to nag him. We don't need to pull the the hem of his his robe. We don't need to say, Lord, Lord, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. We literally turn our face to him and he's already standing there waiting for us. We can pester him. We could go to him. If If you're in the Daily Radio Bible reading plan, you read Luke 18, you know that we can go to him. We read that this past week. We could pester him. We could go, Lord, Lord, help me. Lord, I need help. Lord, please, Lord, please. And he will always hear us. 
And we don't need to leave him alone. He loves it. He's not like when you go visit a family and they take out the vacuum to start cleaning and you know you have to leave at that point. Like he wants us to stay. He invites us in. So he's guaranteed, friends, why we pray, he's guaranteed to give us comfort. He's guaranteed to give us courage and confidence. We read that, right? We can rejoice in hope. We can persevere through trial and tribulation. We can be bold for Jesus in this world that's pressing up against us, in this world that questions whether Jesus is even something worth looking at. He gives us that courage. He gives us that boldness. He gives us that power to overcome the sin that's devastating your life. Maybe it's devastating your marriage. Maybe it's devastating your work. We can trust that when we pray for the Lord to help us, he will. So he'll give us courage and boldness. He'll he'll give us comfort, but he'll also give us grace whenever we ask. He will give us grace whenever we ask. And get this, like, in the midst of your prayers, Jesus, our high priest, is interceding for us to God the Father. As much as you stink at prayers, Jesus is interceding. His prayers don't stink. As in, the, in the times of trouble, when you can't even convey what your heart is thinking, the Holy Spirit groans on your behalf. There is grace there, my friends. Why do we pray? Comfort, boldness, Courage, grace. We pray because God has given us an opportunity to. If we know who God is and we see him in his rightful place, that's why we pray. So why don't we pray? Why should we pray? And then the question, how? If we're going to pray, how? I haven't gotten practical on purpose here because I wanted to talk about why. I'm going to get a little practical here in a minute. But the answer is simple. How do you pray? You have a conversation with God who hears you. You talk with the Lord. You can talk with the Lord. He knows what's going on in your life. He already sees you, but he's invited us in to talk with him. You want to see some examples? Open up the Psalms. You want to learn a little bit more directly? Look at what Jesus says when he talks about the Lord's Prayer. More, more uh, properly named the Believer's Prayer in Matthew 7. Well, let me encourage you, friends. Let's create a rhythm. We don't want this just to be a checklist thing. We don't want to just pray, get it done with, and move on. No, prayer is a way of life. Let's create a rhythm in our life. The things that already happen in your life, there are places in there where you can pray. Whether that be sporadic prayer in the back of your head as you're going into a meeting or time where you're getting in your prayer closet and you're setting that aside for, aside for the Lord. There are times, there are rhythms you can put into your life where you can pray. Create this week, today, a time and place where you're going to pray to the Lord. For me, to be honest with you, like for me, it's the morning. 5 a.m., my girls are up at 7. Once they get up, I hear about how I snored last night and and Kaya needs to get ready and all that kind of, you know, like life happens, right? My mind starts going by seven. I want to think about what I'm doing for the day. I got to get ready. 5 a.m., my mind slowed down enough to where I'm only running on a cup of coffee and I can talk with the Lord and I can get into his word. But I also, when I'm in the car alone, I turn my radio off and I talk with the Lord. 
before and after I go into meetings, I made it a habit to talk with the Lord. See, you understand, like, we have spaces in our life where we could talk with the Lord. Find unhurried time with Jesus. And maybe for you, you have trouble focusing, and some mornings I do. So what I do is I pull out my journal where I take my notes on the Word, and, and I just write out my prayers because it helps me to focus. It helps me to actually know the sentence that I just said. I know we're guilty of just praying and then being like, what did I even just pray? I'm just talking words and I don't even know. Journaling will help that. Maybe, maybe you pray and you pray in concentric circles like you sit in your home and you pray for the people around you like, you, like your family and then your neighbors and then your job and then uh, your church and, and so on and so forth. Maybe you get an old prayer book and you let that guide your prayers. I want to encourage you to find your rhythm. Because Zarephath Christian Church, let's be a praying people. Let us be a praying people. We weren't meant to stand on the sidelines. We were meant to play the game. We were meant to play the game. So let's get in. Let's play. Let me invite out Dave and, and the team here as we get ready to close. But friends, I invite you to dive in. Don't leave this place not considering how you can make your life a life of prayer.